Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasam buddhassa Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Namo Saranto Suchero Yehula Hudi San Miao San Putoshi. The unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma in a hundred thousand million eons is difficult to encounter. Now that I've come to receive and hold it, Within my sight and hearing, I bow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. Venerable Master, friends in the Dharma, good evening. Welcome to our Sutra lecture tonight. Uh, we're going to start with chanting the name of the Sutra and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. You find it right here on your Sutra cover. And we're going to do that in Chinese. So try it out. See how your your tongue feels chanting Chinese syllables. This is, by the way, February nineteenth, twenty eleven, Saturday night in Berkeley, California.
we have a break from the storms of this week. Northern California, Central California, where I was this last week. Southern California, some of the worst rains, not worst, heaviest rains in Los Angeles. Anybody had ever seen, it's not supposed to rain like that in L.A., they said. Of course, Santa Cruz area is always has the highest per capita. Highest, not, that's not the right way to say it. The highest total rainfall is in the San Lorenzo Valley, San Lorenzo River that runs from Boulder Creek down to Santa Cruz, to the ocean. That's the, when they measure it every year, it rains more there than anywhere else in California. And that's, of course, exactly where our, our house is in Boulder Creek. Rains a lot there. And here in Northern California, we had hail. My goodness. So, temporarily, we're in a break. Uh, we'll see how it goes tomorrow in the next couple of days. And from the point of view of convenience, it's not convenient to have so much water falling out of the sky. From the point of view of the balance of agriculture, moisture for crops, it's not a bad thing after all. So there's always a bright side. We're on page 18 and 19. Shabbat Shalom. And on those pages, we're on the second paragraph. Okay, we're going to start with the Chinese. Left-hand side, it's Q-I-Y-U, right? That's actually line one, two, three, four for the non-Chinese speakers. Try it. See see how it sounds in your mouth. Qi yu zhi zui. Yi ling zhong sheng. Duo san e dao. Ruo sheng ren zhong. De er zhong guo bao. Yi zhe. Yan wu ren shou. 二者语不明了 Over to the right The offense of loose speech Also causes living beings To fall into the three evil paths If they are born among people They have two kinds of retribution One, people will not accept what they say Two, their speech will not be clearly understood. Okay. The, uh, we're in the, the chapter of our sutra that talks about the bodhisattva path. This is how awakened beings behave if they're doing it the way the Buddha taught it. So, are you an awakened being? Am I an awakened being? Well, the answer to that question is, see what I do. See what you do. There's no... Uh, cookie-cutter awakened being who is just that way. It's people like you and me who then go and do awakened things that become bodhisattvas. So this is talking about 
what those people would do if they were doing what the Buddha said awakened beings do. It's called the Flower Adornment, the Avatamsaka Sutra. We're in the chapter called the Ten Grounds, and we're in the second of the Ten Grounds. So you kind of narrow it down to where we are. And we're in a part of the second of the Ten Grounds that talks about the ten evil deeds and the ten good deeds. This is a a very uh, powerful and um, helpful part of the text. And I want to mention that if you, um, you should be aware that this Dharma assembly has something special about it too, which is there's a Vietnamese translation happening at the same time that I'm speaking English. So that is, uh, that's a great blessing in that um, the Buddha Dharma is very much alive in the world. And while it began in Asia, in India to be specific, it's traveled over all of Asia, Southeast Asia, and now it's come to the rest of the globe. So to have it in different languages being lectured at the same time, being explained at the same time, is um, bridging the world. We've got a bridge around places that before had no bridges. To have religion or spiritual practice be the bridge that allows you to go from one to the other and back, that's very wonderful. Um, Many people in the world don't believe that's possible. Some people don't even think it's desirable that religion should have anything to do with with our lives because they don't trust religion and religious people. But when it's Buddha Dharma, um, it seems to work very well. So we're having um, a Vietnamese translation while I speak English. Tomorrow morning down in San Jose, I'm going to speak English, then I speak Chinese while there's a Vietnamese translation going. So it's three languages going at once. So that is, uh, for the moments that this happens, the world has a hope of shaking off its habit of conflict, right? That we have to always strike each other, test our strength. And the Buddha Dharma being something that we can all agree on, uh, it's really special. And this is clearly something that Master Shrenhua, our founder, set up, was the more languages, the better. So that's, that's what's happening. Okay. Let's look at our second paragraph. This is, like I say, Avatamsaka Sutra, ten grounds, second ground, ten good and ten evil deeds in the second ground. We are in number seven of ten. There are only three more to go. This is the last one of the four things that people do wrong with our tongues when we talk. Wow, e to have the Buddha say, you know what? People go wrong when they talk. And then when he says that, he's not doing this. You're bad because you go wrong when you talk. And I don't like you. And you're in trouble. No, it's not. The Buddha says, I want you to wake up and get free of suffering entirely. And if you talk this way, 
even though I want you to wake up and be happy and completely joyful and free of affliction, you're going to stop halfway and not make it. Why? Because of the way you spoke. So I would love to get you past that place. Will you please pay attention to your words and realize the power of your tongue to mess you up? That's it. And that's so different from, I'm not going to save you if you don't please me, you know, with a finger flapping, you know, like that. And you feeling guilty and judged and excluded and, you know. The Buddha doesn't do that. The Buddha says, you can be skillful or you can be clumsy. You're going to be talking mostly, so why not do it skillfully? Don't do it clumsily. Do it skillfully. Then, straight through. And you wake up. And that's the point of having a human body, says the Buddha. Okay, three things wrong with the body that we do, four things wrong with our speech that we do, three things wrong with the mind that we do. So body, mouth, and mind, three, four, three. This is number four of the four with the mouth. It's called, the way we translated it here is loose speech, qi yu, and the word qi in Chinese means embroidered. Did your mom do embroidery? Some moms did. Some dads did, I suppose. My mom did embroidery. She also did what was called needlepoint. I never knew the difference. But it's a way of stitching designs on fabric. So maybe you had a pillow on your sofa at home that had a, uh, a scene of a, a house and a lake and a tree in the sun or something. Um, needlepoint or embroidery. Maybe it had a rose, very pretty, made of thread or yarn that was worked in with a needle. That's embroidery, and that's qi only words. Anybody's mom do embroidery or needlepoint? Yeah, yeah, it's old-fashioned. Uh, maybe that's a Western custom, I don't know. So uh, needlepoint is take a certain size needle, load it up with some thread or, or yarn, and you stitch a pattern. And when you're done, it's a painting, only done with fabric and thread, called <coughs> embroidery. I know in uh, China there's lots of idioms. Uh, how does it go? Not tan, not that. That's embroidery. It's the same idea. It's tian you, you, xiu hua. There's when you shiohar, you're making it's like it embroidery is shiohar, meaning you're creating flowers out of your your handiwork. And that phrase in Chinese means extraneous, meaning totally needless. Unnecessary. And it's loose speech, frivolous speech is just like that. Traditionally, classically, they say there's two things that make up qi, loose speech. 
And you're going to hear me say frivolous speech and loose speech about the same number of times. It means both. Here are the two things that are classically loose speech. One is words that scatter your attention instead of focusing it. For example, if I if we're having a conversation and you say something and I go <laughs> like that. <laughs> you go why did you snicker? With especially with that kind of dirty sound. <laughs> right? You think, what what did I say? And the person who hears me do that, reacting to something they say, will have to think, your mind goes, what, did I, what was that? You know, did I say something funny? Based on my reaction, okay? The traditional way of talking about this is dirty jokes, suggestive jokes, okay? In other words, simple words, coming from you put pictures in my head that aren't simple at all. They're images that scatter my energy. They make you think sideways into places the mind doesn't have to go. All right? Snickers. You kind of... You know the word leer, L-E-E-R, leering? I can't even do it. In my mouth, I don't like that. Leering, it's like winking and things. Oh, there you go, a wink, right? Somebody says, well, we could, uh, let's, let's do something totally innocuous. Let's see if we come up with it. Something like, um, you'd say, um, well, we could, uh, let's see. Okay, so you're saying, let's play ping pong. Play ping pong. De-donk, 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 right? Ping pong's pretty simple. So you say, well, uh, could we go play ping pong with your friends? And you say, yeah, we could play with them. <laughs> and suddenly it's like, what? Did I hear that right? You know? Playing ping pong means competing in a game of batching ping pong. And when it play, a double entendre has two meanings. Play has some sort of sexual connotation. We'll play with them, right? And because you go <laughs> like that, suddenly simple words take on this other meaning. That's chiyu. Okay? And there are people, I'm sure you know them, maybe you work with them, or they're your neighbor, or your brother in law, maybe it's you. Who know? Who never lose an opportunity to hit that second layer of meaning with words. Something simple becomes something not, becomes dirty, becomes suggestive, becomes it carries meaning very different from the words. Okay? Here's an example. Kids under what, anymore, 11 or 12, have no concept of that level of meaning, right? But only at a certain age, after puberty, if you hit that note, 
kids get it because they're now mature. And so suddenly this whole other realm opens up for them. Before that, it's not there. Kids are like, play ping pong? Sure, let's go play. I want to play ping pong. There's no sense of anything wrong with it. Okay, that's chiyu. The first meaning of chiyu. Suggestive, double entendre, leering, dirty jokes. If you do that a lot, then that's called chiyu. Okay, ready? That's one. Two, the second meaning of chiyu is not suggestive, lewd, leering, double entendres, two meanings. That's a wonderful phrase in French, double, double entendre. Heard it twice. Double, double entendre, to hear. Double entendre means you heard it twice. I heard it, then I heard it again. And the second one carried that other meaning. Okay. Second kind of chiyu is what? Simply rattling on and on forever. Called prattle. <clears throat> in Chinese, they say, Hua xiazi, tan bu ting, jiang jiao jiang, or luo luo so so. In Chinese, luo luo so so means that. You prattle, you never stop. You just. We say in English, motor mouth. Your mouth is like a motor. And it's not limited to women. This is not gender specific. There are guys who do the very same thing. And after a while, what you do when you hear it is you have to shut it out. You have to just turn a deaf ear to it because every time it gets your attention, there's no male there. It's like the mailman rings the bell and there's only ads. Chuck them right in the wastebasket. Not a single letter, right? It's all advertisement. That happened to you week after week. Mail comes, you look at it, nothing. Chuck it in the wastebasket. That is chi in from the postal system. There are people who talk like that. Every word has no content in it. It's just noise. Pretty soon your ear gets tired and you shut them out. Okay? That's that's a kind of chi. The Buddha is saying. Be aware, be aware that that kind of talking is using your wonderful capacity for speech wrong. You're wasting the chance to communicate if you prattle. Prattle, 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 lolo so so is really a wonderful word, right? It's lolo so so You get the feeling of somebody just prattling. So, that's the definition. Chi frivolous speech, loose speech, means, one, suggestive, dirty, lewd, double-meaning, scattering talk, that everything you say has got that <laughs> sound in it, that you have to hear twice, double entente. You hear it once, you hear it a second time, and that second time has got this side to it, and scattered, endless, 
讲不完，啰啰嗦嗦，话匣子 ，chatterbox， literally 话 language 匣 box， 话匣子 chatterbox， in Chinese， that's the other meaning of double double tongue speech. Okay, Buddha says the offensive, frivolous speech <coughs> also causes us to fall into the three evil paths. When it's done to an extreme, it can. It's so bad a, a, a hole in your energy system that it can leak you out of your human body. That's pretty serious. Charge for words, isn't it? Buddha says yes. Words used that way can actually harm you to the point where you lose your human body. Now, suppose you do that. But you also have some good. You've got a bank account of goodness from the other stuff that you do. So you're a mix. You are, Master Shrinhua would say, salad karma, shan e jaza, black and white, all black and white karma. That is to say, dark karma, lighted karma, wholesome karma, negative karma, all mixed in together. So you don't fall out of your human body. You're born as a human, but Quality of life is impacted by the words you speak, and quality of life means something goes wrong. The Buddha is telling us, "Hammer on steel, bang, bang, bang." This is what will go wrong. Not ambiguous, not maybe, not kinda, not gray. He says this is going to happen if you do that a lot. Number one, Chinese. Yan Wu Ran Shou, words without people accept. Words lack people accept. In other words, people won't accept what you say. That's going to happen. Two, Yu Bu Ming Liao, speech not clear understood. So people won't get what you say. How about that? Two. So one and two. If you do that a lot, here's what's going to happen: the things you say, people won't accept. Number two, the things you say won't be clear. People won't understand you. Okay, that's what the sutra says. Eight words. One and two. Yan wu ren shou yu bu ming liao. People won't accept what you say. Two, the things you say won't be clearly expressed, won't be clearly understood. Okay, how does that break down? The Buddha is saying, if I tell dirty jokes a lot, if everything I say carries a snickering underside to it, the result is when I want to say something meaningful. When I want to say something that I want people to get, because it's important, they're going to go. They're going to do this. They're going to go like that, or they're going to go like this. Do everything I say, because the words that came out of my mouth. To a large extent, 
had these two meanings that took all the gas out of the tank, that took all of the integrity out of the statement, that turned words that could be eloquent into popcorn. Pop, 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 pop. Gone. Nothing. Okay? Because of what I did. Now, that's really frustrating. When you want to say something, you want to count. You're with people you care about. There is a challenge. There's a crisis. There's an issue that's got to be solved. And it's your turn to say, speak, and you speak from your heart, and everybody goes like this. Or they look right past you because they're used to hearing your words go pop, 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 pop. <laughs> they say, he didn't mean it. He doesn't mean it. Or you don't mean it. Okay? And what do you do? You spend your time saying, no, no, you didn't understand me. No, no, that's not what I meant. Okay? You know what that is? That's frustrating. Number two, your words are not clear. After you say something, people are going, huh? Huh? You say something that you want to, it's important. You're talking to your sweetheart, okay? And you want to... You want to say something really meaningful, right? And then she, what? What? And you have to repeat it. And they go, what? Either that or it's just, it's so unclear. The things you say, nobody gets the point. Worse, they get it wrong. People hear you, but they hear not what you meant. Okay, why? Because habitually from my mouth comes embroidered speech. Speech that doesn't hit the heart. Okay, so how about that? Talk about clarity. Because the Buddha is free of qi yu when he wants to express something, he can make it as clear as this sentence. I mean, really, in a real way, this is an oral record, right? The sutras are words the Buddha spoke. This is not prose written down by some editor. The, the sutras are said to be, what do they call it? Boyan, Buddha Vachana in Sanskrit. Boshua. Words the Buddha spoke. This is an oral record. This is essentially this is a transcript of a recording. Although there was no tape recorder, there was Ananda, whose mind was better than 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 silicon-based memory. Ananda had carbon hydrocarbon-based memory, right? Not silicon-based memory, and yet it was keen because he didn't watch too much TV. So he, what he heard was not distorted. The Buddha Ananda was very sharp and his mind was unclouded. He had a clear, sharp mirror. So the things he heard were printed on the mirror. 
And then when it came time, he said, this is what the Buddha said. And the Buddha said, hey, qi yu, guess what? Yan wu ren shao. Nobody's going nobody's to accept what you say. Two, it's not going to be clear. Because of the way you talk, the result will be you are forever going to have one sentence out of your mouth, which is, that's not what I meant. No, no, you didn't get it. Forever. <clears throat> okay. Anybody have any, like, thoughts about that? You want to clarify it? Really good question. And of the four of the four Marion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 chewing it. Alice's question was where does flattery go among the four ways of talking wrong? Flattery. And that's a really good question because I left it out. Of the four places, what are they? Lying, double-tongued speech, which is also gossip and schism-making, harsh speech, and loose speech. Where would flattery go? Flattery goes here. You're right. And if you hadn't poked me, I would have not said it. I'm glad you said that. Did anybody... I haven't checked Sherfu's commentary here. Is that where Sherfu puts it, too? Did anybody look? I didn't check for this. I bet if we go back and look at Scherfer's commentary, that's where this goes. Okay, let me, because I definitely can talk about that, so thank you for adding it. <coughs> the, <coughs> another way that we use, <coughs> excuse me, that we use speech wrong is to the the phrases that that Master Shrenhua used were three or four. He said Pai Ma Pi, which is literally to pat the horse's back. Pat the horse's butt, right? In other words, to we say kiss ass, right? That's one. Two is Right? I know, I shouldn't say that, should I? But that's really tame compared to what, you know, kiss butt, what do you say, is that better? You know. But that's, that's a very descriptive phrase. Brown nose, brown nose sounds worse. You know. How did your nose get brown? Don't ask, right? So, um, means you give people, you put a high, you put a tall hat on somebody's head, literally tall. You put a crown on someone's head. Flattery. 
What else? They call it ayu feng zheng. To um, flatter people. In English, we have the same number of phrases. There are lots of ways to say this. Butter somebody up. Take a butter knife. Butter, right? You put the butter on. Then you put two pieces of bread and you eat them, right? After you butter them up. Um, Praise. Uh, False, let's see. Flattery, buttering up. Um... What are, the, what are the other phrases? Anybody got a thesaurus at hand? For flattery, what are the other way we, ways we say it in English? To kiss up to someone, is that right? To kiss up, right. You use words to ingratiate. Somebody's got an electronic thesaurus back there. Let me know when you get some, uh, when you dial it in. Adulation, yeah. Blandishments, not quite. That's not quite it. What is it? For flattery. Just check flattery and see what kind of... Teachers, that's a result, can be a result of flattery. That's not the, the verb. To flatter someone. Not coming to mind? You'll think of it, right? Okay. When you flatter... This is, I think, Chiyu is really the place this belongs. It's a serious misuse of language. Shifu spent a lot of time on this, maybe because I had this habit. That's maybe I heard it a lot because Shifu was teaching me a lot about it. What it means is you speak in order to manipulate somebody into giving you favor, or benefits, or power, or to get close to them. So they like you, but you don't mean it. You're only saying these things to move them. Flattery. Connie. If you sincerely mean it, okay. So flattery, in other words. Okay, so Connie's question is, what is the line between praise and flattery? Okay, Amitabha's body is the color of gold. The splendor of his hallmarks has no peer. The light of his eyes shines around the hundred worlds. The wide as his eyes or the sea, wide as the seas are his eyes, pure and clear. That's Mitozan. Upon the earth, below the sky, the Buddha has no peer. In ten directions, everywhere, he is beyond compare. That's praising the Buddha, right? Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! That's praising, that's praise. Does the Lord feel better when I praise him? Does Amitabha get puffed up when I say his color is gold and he, you know. Probably not. I haven't asked him recently, but I don't know what the Buddhist state is. 
So what's the difference? Draw that line. This is praise. And in my heart, when I see, okay, can you all turn back and look at the Buddha sitting under the tree here on the wall? Look at him. He's really focused. He's got good posture. He's got a white halo. He's sitting on this bundle of grass, of flowers, and he looks very mellow. He looks very tranquil. He looks very serene. I'm, I'm looking at the image. And beside him is Amitabha. Look at Amitabha. That's the, uh, the, the standing Buddha there is painted by a nun in Taiwan. And the, if you look at that, the aura seems to be blazing. That's a very wonderful image. The aura seems to be doing this. So if I look at that and I go, whoa, far out, or something, you know, wow, I say, something like that, you know, or I don't speak Italian. Whatever way you use to praise something that you see and it's sincere, that's not chiyu. If I look at that and in the split second my devious mind says, if I praise the Buddha knowing that's his soft spot and he's going to like me better if I praise him and maybe he'll let me sit beside him at lunch and then give me the defense contract, sign, and, you know, and we'll make $3 million per hour because he's going to buy my widgets or my weapons. That's flattery. Okay, so it's an, I think that, Connie, to answer the question, there is no fixed, this is praise, this is flattery. You have to look at your motive in thought after thought after thought. The difference is motive. What did you mean by that? Suppose you sincerely feel moved by somebody, but you also know that they have a soft spot for flattery. Then even though you're sincerely moved by them, if you say it, that's, you know, that's not clean, okay? Master Hua's version of talking about this, he would say, People who praise you often are not out to help you. Whereas people who talk about your faults are often your true friends. And that is such a non-starter. In society, that doesn't work. And if you go around saying, you know what, you really look terrible today. You know, I, your clothes don't suit you, and your posture is bad, and you've got a dark cast around you. But don't listen to me, because I'm your friend. Don't worry about me. I'm actually here to help you. You look terrible. It's not going to work. So you can't take that, to, you know, Sherpa says, if I don't flatter you, I'm your best friend. No, no, it's like, that's true if the person who does it is completely, completely virtuous, then you hear it and it doesn't hurt you. But if, the, if you don't trust the person who's saying that, you're going to hate them all the same. doesn't matter if they're your friend or not. You say, 
Thank you very much. Why don't you just be quiet, all right? Go over there, stand in the traffic and say that, please. Go walk on the freeway, you know. So, <clears throat> so it's tricky to know the difference. And usually it's better to err on the side of saying less about people's sure and faith, their rights and their wrongs. Because why? We are fragile. People are fragile. What others, others' opinions of us matter a whole lot. Since when? Since probably about nine or ten years old. If you are an elementary school teacher, you will verify this is so. Or if you've raised kids. I haven't, but I've watched kids. From up to five and six and seven up to like third or fourth grade, and strongly in sixth grade, kids pretty much look straight ahead. Their needs are simple. Our needs are simple. We want what we want, and we want it now. You know, it's like me. We all pretty much think the world begins and ends right here with me. Somewhere around eight or nine, we realize... There are people to my left and right. Oh, that's my brother. That's my sister. That's my classmate. And at that point, we become social beings. And the number one important question is, will you be my friend? For sure. If you teach sixth grade, man, oh man. Talk about social networking. We want to look like everyone else. We don't want to be different at all. We want to be with the right people, wearing the right clothes, saying the right things, because we're developing our social neural connections, right? We're very different beings after that maturity. Many of us don't progress beyond that state, and what people think of us matters a whole lot. So, to hear somebody come up and say, you know what I heard so-and-so say about you, right? Oh, it's very, very, very hard to say, that's their problem. And mean it in a kind heart. They're maybe afflicted. Maybe, they're, maybe they had a bad day today. I don't care. I know who I am. I'm not worried about what they think. Who cares? That is what Master Shrenhua would say is real Kung Fu. He would spend so much time saying things like, when I hear people slander me, I take it as sweet dew in my ear because they're trying to help me improve. That's so hard to do, to really not care whether we're flattered or praised. In fact, <coughs> there's a list of things called Ba the eight kinds of wind. And somebody who has samadhi is called the eight winds blow and you don't waver. You don't even wiggle in the eight kinds of wind. And those eight kinds of wind, I can't do all eight off the top of my head, but in them is praise and hui, slander. 
Okay, so why are we talking about this? It's because cultivation is done within society. We cultivate right in the middle of our didi guga jejememe, baba mama, zunyu. We cultivate right in the midst of our siblings, our parents, our kids, our teachers, our enemies, and our friends. And we might, while we're sitting here, you know, the eight winds can't move me, man. Big samadhi. I got on my samadhi shoes. Right? And then as soon as we uncross our legs and step out of the Buddha hall and somebody says, I can't believe what I heard about you. Right? Our temperature rises and we start to flush. And we, what do you mean? Oh, I don't think I'll tell you now. I'll tell you later. Right? What do you mean? You've got to tell me now. You know? The slightest thing that we hear about our, you know, it's like suddenly we're back in sixth grade. Will you be my friend? You know, this is really where cultivation happens. And so words that we say are so hugely important. So, I want to appreciate raising flattery as a kind of chiyu. Usually I say it's dirty speech, what do you say, snickering speech, and prattle. It also includes flattery, which is words meant to get on your good side. Shurfu slammed this. Around me a lot. I guess I did it too much. Words that do not come from a sincere heart, but are there to move you so that I get advantages. So you like me more. So you include me in your mailing list. So I get put on your will. right? So you pick me for the team. I know I didn't mean what I said. Actually, I think you're a jerk. But I said, oh, hi, how are you? <laughs> you know, nice to see you. Right? You paste it on. And underneath, it's like, you creep. You know, not sincere. That's called pai ma pi. It's called buttering somebody up for my benefit. Qi yu. Okay? Should that go, does that go into qi yu or is that liang shu? It's qi yu, huh? Flattery? I'm going to check the commentary because Shurfu definitely talks about it. I don't know where he puts it, but I'll, I'll find out. It is clearly a way of using words that is not, and it fits with the retribution too. If I do that a lot, then when I speak, people, number one, won't accept what I say because they're used to hearing me be phony. And two, they may not not understand it because I've been using words that had a very different purpose from the words themselves. I said, you look beautiful. I don't think so. Okay, now... Uh, word to the wise, and I know there are a few 
<clears throat> Leo's in the room. A couple heads pop up. You know, I, I know who's here. I probably know most of the Leo's in the room. Leo's have to be careful. Why? Vulnerable to flattery. Now, that's among, now we don't teach astrology here. We don't. Don't get me wrong. This would also apply to tigers, Chinese tigers, all right? If you are a tiger, and I know who you are, you share this with the Western astrology Leos, which is what? The word is a little bit of vanity. A little bit. A little bit of vanity, which is to say, when you hear somebody, let's say Leos, okay, Leos and tigers like to give advice. They do. They're usually clear about opinions on things. They like to give advice. If you are being lectured by a Leo or a tiger, I'll give you a secret, all of you other signs, which is what? Say something nice about their sweater. <laughs> and they will go, oh, do you think so? You, oh, I, I kind of like it myself. They'll say, and the lecture is over. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Say something nice to them about their appearance. And if it's a, if it's a typical, it's like, oh, you know, and the lecture is all forgotten. If you know a Leo in your family, try it. Now, you didn't hear it from me, all right? Okay, don't quote me. All right. We are, Jason. Yeah, sure. Oh, plenty. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. It's hard to draw the line between social smoothing or schmoozing. Social smoothing, smoozing, smoozing, smoothing smooshing and ice-breaking and flattering. Because in society, you have to do that, right? How, and the question is, how do you tell the difference? Schmoozing. How do you have a conversation with a new friend, an acquaintance, without going into flattery? Yeah. tough. You have to like, <laughs> suppose you applied Master Shrenhua's true friend principle, right? <laughs> You're sitting there. Oh, how do you do? You're already on your third drink, huh? Huh? You know, it's like, wow, you won't get very far. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to know. And that's why cultivation is not, quote, popular, and <coughs> sometimes, um, you know, if I'm, for me, as a monk, what I, people ask me, what did I learn in my pilgrimage? What I learned on my pilgrimage is, by being silent for all those years, was about 80% that's to say, four out of five words out of my mouth 
are pretty much filler words. They don't carry content. Probably one word out of five is actually meaningful. A whole lot of the words that I say are, uh-huh, oh, really? No kidding. Oh, son of a gun. How about that? Whoa. Uh-huh, 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 yeah. No. Hmm, really? Boy, that, who would have thought it? Yeah, son of a gun. Wow, that's really a trip. Neat. Yeah, cool. Groovy, dude. You know, on and on and on and on and on, which is okay if you listen to Japanese conversation. Oh, man. In Japanese, it's called keigo, right? Honorific speech, keigo. It's a, it's a cliche in Japanese that you can talk for 10 minutes and never say a word. Is it? そうですか。そうでございますね。本当ですか。そう。そう。あの、ね。Right? On and on and not a word, but you you've talked for 5 minutes. And it's perfectly fine. It's expected. It's expected. In Japanese, you would, you, it's just like, for you to say something like, no way, man. Nope. You don't say, I disagree. You don't. You don't. That would be so rude and so, out, you know. In Japanese, keigo is, is hugely important. This way to speak, called honorific, you know, formal speech. Western English, you know, especially California English, or New York English, we're much more direct. But still, still, what I learned in my pilgrimage was about 80% of what I say is filler speech during the day. And that's probably normal. I don't think I'm particularly, you know, uh, different or unique. So what is the lesson here? I, I haven't told you my story yet. I have a story. Why I, t- I gave a big build-up to this particular set of rules, right? If you've been listening for the last couple of weeks. Here's what happened. My, I got named Jun Shi, true and real. Master Hua said, because you lie too much, right? Bang! Like that. Not subtle, not gray. You lie too much, he said. Nobody had ever, ever spoken to me that directly, especially somebody in a power position, an an adult male, never said that kind of thing to me. I had a habit growing up of always being able to get close to the power guy. I didn't think about it. It was not something anybody told me. I just found myself doing it. In any situation, let's say, for example... Little League, right? Little League, baseball. Who's the power guy? Coach. Little League coach, okay? Try out for the team. I'm medium skills, you know, not very fast, not very strong, but okay, can play. And three guys just like me. Who gets picked for the team? the one who comes to the attention of the coach, 
So what do I do? I, you know, run the bases, pitch, hit, then go work on the coach, <laughs> right? Stand around, help him out a little bit, talk about, you know, notice what kind of car he's driving, notice if he's got kids and a dog and, you know, what, what brand of ball glove he's got, Spalding or Rawlings or Wilson, you know. And then I come to his attention. So he thinks, oh, what a nice young man. Score. I did that without even noticing that I was doing it all the way growing up. Go to join a club. Find the president of the club. Get to know him. Work your way closer. I could do that. I just knew how to do it. It was older men, people in power, whoever it was. Men, not, not so much women, but men mostly. Just so you kind of came to the, that was the way I always did it. And unaware that I had this habit, you don't think, you don't notice that not everybody's doing it, right? You don't know that everybody's not doing that. That's just kind of what you do. Okay, come to Gold Mountain Monastery. 1973, my roommate, my college roommate, says, that's Shurfu, that's Master Shrenhua. And Shurfu, when I come in the door, he doesn't look at me. He doesn't say a word to me. He doesn't acknowledge that I'm in the room, you know, And I'm all ready to go up to him and speak in Mandarin Chinese and ask him an important question about the Dharma. Right? Doing what? Same old trip. Okay. And so, one day, it was, what was it? Buddha's birthday. And here was Shurfu. I'd never spoken to him before. And I came up and I bowed to him and I said uh, something like, ah, uh, what did he do? He went. It's like that. Didn't look at me, he just went. Meaning, don't try that with me. <laughs> and it was. It, I felt he didn't do any more than wiggle his finger like that. I don't think anybody else saw it, but it was as if he went, bang, like that. The impact of that was like, it stopped me cold. It was like looking in a mirror. And I thought, what just happened? Because I knew that was important. What just happened? He just went, didn't even look at me from the side like that. You know, it was like... Such an utter, total dismissal of my question. But it was, I felt as if somebody had shown me something important. And I didn't even, at that, at that point, I still didn't know what it was, but it was like that. It was, you can't play your tricks around here, clown. <laughs> no. I'm on to you. Don't try it. You cannot panyuan around here. And it was like, because I was being my slimiest best, you know. I was ready to make him like me. Nope, not at all. 
Okay, so I didn't understand that, what was going on. I didn't really understand my name deeply. And then, while bowing to the Avatamsaka, already two, like one year and nine months into the pilgrimage, like more than half over, Marin County, uh, somewhere near uh, Fort, not, is it Fort Baker? Somewhere near Fort Baker. Not quite, I guess we were actually uh, heading towards Mount Tamalpais. Marty and I would read a section of the Huayinjing every night after Wan Ke. That was what we did. And we got to the Ten Grounds chapter. And we were going through this paragraph. And I was sick at the time. I had diarrhea. I'd had diarrhea for like four days. Couldn't eat. It was raining. It was February. I was wet 24 hours a day, cold as could be, and sick. Every time I bowed, I had to go in the bushes. Every time I tried to eat, I couldn't hold it down. I was weak, I was cold, I was sick, I was miserable, right? Which, if you're a cultivator, is not necessarily a bad thing because it puts you past your ordinary defenses. You're more true when you're coping with stuff. So, reading along, feeling very, very tired, and the Avatamsaka Sutra said, the offense of loose speech also causes living beings to fall into the three evil paths. If they're born among people, they have two kinds of retribution. One, people will not accept what they say. Two, their speech will not be clearly understood. <coughs> when I read that, suddenly it was like this door opened, and I saw myself saying over and over and over to people, from about junior high school on, saying to people, no, that's not what I meant. I wanted to be a man. I wanted my words to count. I wanted to be one of the guys. Will you be my friend? Right? I wanted to matter, like every other guy did. And from like junior high through high school and on, occasionally you'd be in a meeting, you'd be deciding whose team you were on, shirts or skins, you know, you'd be deciding uh, whether to buy this, this record or that record. You'd be deciding on guitar strings or who was going to sing first in the program, etc. And every time I wanted to say something, people would go as if my words had no weight. That was my experience. And it was like, oh, uh, you know what? That's not what I meant. Or, no, 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 you didn't understand. I heard myself saying that over and over again. 
right from the pages. And then the next thought happened, and this was the gift. What I saw was that since the time I had looked sideways and noticed that there were boys here and girls here, I had had a habit that I never thought of before, which is what? I used to pad my stories in order to be liked or in order to get a laugh. If I was talking, particularly if there were girls present, I would tell the story and add details so that people would notice and, quote, like me more. I thought. For example, and you've heard this one before, my dad came from Quebec. He came from Sherbrooke, Quebec, which is a town 100 miles east of Montreal in the maritime provinces. La Belle Province de Quebec. Sherbrooke. And my dad was very... Uh, He was a good actor, he could recite poetry, he could sing beautifully, he was very big and strong, he was a great athlete, very handsome, he was a war hero, you know. My dad really made an impact when you came into a room. He was physically large and handsome and strong. And pretty quickly, everybody, every eye would be on my dad, you know. So I thought, well, me too. I don't really come from Toledo, Ohio. I come also from Quebec. Bien sûr, don't you know? Oui, en Québec, nous parlons en français comme ça. Le Québécois, bien sûr, bien sûr. Oui, oui, oui. Un, deux, trois, cinq, six, six, sept, huit, neuf, sept. Hoping that girls would go, oh, just like they did when my dad walked in the room. He was a very handsome guy. Was it true? Not a bit. I came from Toledo, Ohio. I was born in Columbus, Ohio. Even better, you know. I came from Toledo. I went to Quebec on summer vacation for two weeks and then home. Two weeks and home. But I pretended that I came from Quebec so that I wouldn't come from Toledo, right? Because who wants to come from Toledo? Toledo, Ohio. I did that. Nobody ever said, you're a phony. Okay? That's a typical story about my habit of wanting to be liked, and I'll tell you a way that you can like me, true or not. doesn't matter if I get the result that I want. If you're in theater, that's helpful to pretend to be something you're not. If you're trying to be a genuine, sincere, virtuous, kind-hearted, honest person, forget cultivator of the way. Just being a good person. You can't fool people. You can't be phony. You can't lie and pretend. Why? your mind is crooked, right? When you meditate, 
how do you know that you're seeing your true thought? Like that. That's a problem if you're cultivating. If you're out trying to score in the world and get parts and be liked and loved for who you're not, grab for it, right? I did it, and it made me, guess what? Lightweight. When it came time to be accepted, when I wanted to say, you know, I really want to do this, people would go, like that. He didn't mean it. Because the words out of my mouth were false. Embroidered. They're there for effect, not because they're true. I didn't know. I thought everybody was supposed to be like 007, you know, and the more popular the better. Who knew that to be really popular, you had to actually tell the truth? So came this paragraph. When I read that, it was like I connected why my whole life I was always saying, no, that's not what I meant. It's because I spoke frivolous speech too much. And when I saw that, I got out of the car and bowed to the Buddha in the dark, in the wet, without my robe on, just to say, thank you for untying a knot that I had in my mind for I can't tell you how long. Finally, somebody showed me what I was doing that made my, the quality of my life so miserable because people who you impress by being phony are not people who will stick around. Once they discover you lie to them, who's going to be around? You mean you're not from Sherbrooke, Quebec? You are not Pierre of the North? You are not Dudley Do-Right of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police? You come from Toledo? Goodbye. <laughs> Vous êtes flatteur. Or worse, tu es flatteur. Right? You're a phony. You're a flatterer. You're cheap. Right? Oh, boy. I didn't know that. I thought you were scoring, because that's what the movies, you know, all life is a stage. It's not. If you want to cultivate the way, Sherpa would say, you have to be true within true. Simple true is not enough because already it's false. It's made up of projections. You have to be true within the true to find your mind. If you're phony, you're already one step away. You're never going to make it back to true, to the true true. So it's like, What a huge gift to have the mirror say, you know what, here's your problem. What I learned by looking at that paragraph was so much about the use of the sutra. The sutra is there as a mirror. Sherpa would say, you can't, this is, the sutra is, a mirror that you can't be without for even a single day. 
一日不能少，一日不可少的，怎么说？自我说明书、心理分析的书、本来面目都在里边。Your true face is in the sutra, and I never experienced it until I hit that paragraph, and it was like, not only my true face, but the cause of my problem opened up. Now maybe it was because I was so miserable. On those days, I didn't have any strength to put my usual defenses up. Maybe that's why I saw both my face and the cause of my trouble. Ordinarily, I would have. No, 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 that's not me. Or thanks, that's really nice, you know. But I was like so de-energized that it just it all fell apart. <clears throat> and there I was looking at myself with all my ugliness intact. But sometimes it feels really good to be ugly when it's done with compassion by the Buddha. So that's my story.、And、that's why I said this particular passage of this particular chapter has always been the most important one to me because, in one finger snap, I saw what I had been doing my whole life since I was, you know, conscious of myself and others and such. So powerful, and that's why. And the other thing I connected with that was my name, true and real. If I had not been silent for a year and a half to that point, probably it would have gone right by me too. So, people ask me, "What did you get out of your pilgrimage?" I could say one paragraph of the Avatamsaka Sutra. That was my biggest malbing, my biggest problem. Okay, comments. No mail, Shay. Yao, Boutong. Kenny. Okay, what's that? Say it again, Kenny. How does affliction? How does a, a person? How does a person correct bad speech karma? One good way is to talk less. <laughs> Serious.、Um, what do I mean by that?、Uh, if you, for example, give yourself go on a go on si- be silent for an hour a day, guarantee. It will be hard. Did anybody see the Julia Roberts film "Eat, Pray, Love"? Okay, two hands went up. The "pray" part. She's in an ashram in India. She's got. Hi, my name is Julia. I am being silent. Right? She goes on silence for a day or something. It's very hard to be silent. Try it. Give yourself an hour where you don't talk. What you'll discover is, we are hardwired to speak. It's going to come shooting up, and the temptation to talk is going to be really, really hard. It took me nine months to actually calm down the impulse to thought moves, mouth speaks. One hour will just touch it, but that helps. The key to answer your question, the key to Turning 
bad mouth karma around is listen to yourself. Listen to yourself. Ask yourself a question. How much of my words today were lies? None, right, says our bad mind, right? How much of the words I said today was gossip, talking about other people's longs and shorts? How much of my words today were harsh speech or profanity? Any? 10%? An F word in every sentence? Check your emails. Check your chats. How much of my stuff was harsh speech? Then ask myself, how much of my words today, how many of my words today, how much of my speech today was prattle, flattery, or maybe suggestive lewd speech? That's a good way to start. And be honest, right? Zeng Zi, Confucius' disciple, said, I criticize myself three times every day to see how, to see whether... I couldn't have improved and be more sincere. That will really help. And understand that a lot of what we say just doesn't have to be said. We don't have to put voice to every single thought that rises. A lot of it isn't going to help other people. And there's another way. How do you... How do you change speech karma. One way is to know that words are so powerful that if you say the right thing at the right minute to that person, you can wake them up and end their suffering entirely. Look at the Six Patriarch Sutra. Over 20 people ended their suffering, came out of the dark night, the long night of darkness, because of one sentence the six patriarchs said, at the right time, just the right way. Words are so powerful. Here's an example. Somebody has had a crisis. Somebody's lost a family member. Somebody has been deeply cheated by a Ponzi scheme in a bank, You've, they've just discovered that they've got no money left, right? And all their dreams are broken. You have the opportunity to say a sentence that will ease their mind. Suppose you have said a lot of chi yu, and your well-intentioned words, they don't understand. That will hurt you as well as not help them. The power of good words to heal someone's broken heart, to chase somebody's fear, huge. When we heal people who have broken hearts or broken dreams, usually it's words. That's the power of words. Let that be your reason for changing bad speech karma so that when the time comes, you can say exactly the right thing 
to heal someone, there's a reason to speak well. Okay? So, online questioner, you know. Think of the benefits of true, real speech. Speak a little less and listen to how we speak using lies, double-tongue, harsh, frivolous as our standard. Listen to it. And if, it, if we're doing that, do it less. Silence is golden, says the Bible. Okay? There we go. Neat stuff. This is when the Avatamsaka, when I read that passage, my faith in this sutra and in my teacher just went through the roof. I was looking at my face. So all you Leos, if I come up and compliment your sweater, you can know that I'm not cultivating, all right? Oh, Fosher's forgotten and gone back to his bad habits. But he did say that I look pretty nice. Fosher's got good taste. Let us dedicate the merit. And... However you would like that goodness to go out in the world, the world can use it. So please make a wish. in mm-hmm. 